Hey, Mike. Welcome to the Rising Executive Podcast. This is a podcast where we interview some of the best up-and-coming leaders in tech and startups, so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And for those listening, uh, Mike is head of sales and marketing at a startup called WorkRails, and he has a really interesting career path that we're going to delve into today. So, Mike, where I wanted to start was around your perspective as a sales leader, right? So, as you're leading your teams, how do you think about balancing your time between strategy and execution? Yeah, it's a really great question. I think, you know, what it comes down to balancing your time is, is it's all about value, right? You, you certainly have a finite amount of time. So you really want to focus on spending your time on aspects and tasks and things that are going to drive value. Now, you can't avoid uh, doing things tactically. You can't avoid... Um, you know, executing, of course, but you really need to think about, and as I've grown in my career, I've started to really think about, you know, is this time well spent? You know, is this executive task well spent or should I spend more time, you know, uh, more time thinking about the strategy behind it, right? And nowadays, you know, I really think when people say there's not enough time in the day, it's because you're spending, you know, your eight hours, nine to five executing, and really those hours afterwards, you're spending, you're spending on, you know, thinking about strategy. And that's what unfortunately happens sometimes. But, you know, sometimes I also feel that strategy and, and those more, um, you know, thinking outside the box type things that you often think about are times outside of work, you know, maybe times with your family, times with your friends, you know, watching a movie, watching a TV show, you know, those things often inspire me to uh, make, you know, strategic changes and certainly learning from, you know, my friends and colleagues, you know, allow, you know, certainly some creative ideas to flow. So sort of a long winded answer, but I would say that, you know, you're never going to avoid executing nine to five. You just may want to make sure you find some time to really think about strategy and make sure you're executing on those strategic initiatives that will drive value. Yeah, for sure. And that's a common mistake that we see a lot of up and coming <laughs> leaders face is that transition, right? Because once you're becoming a team lead, you need to stop sort of getting in the weeds of everything and spend more time thinking about a good, what's a good use of your time and your team's time. Um, so I'm curious for you in terms of making that transition, what did you find was most valuable to making it? Was it, you know, learning about sales from other communities or podcasts or things like that? Like, how did you actually build that strategic skill set? Yeah, you know, uh, it's it's not something where, you know, you wish you could take a class on, on how to do it. But I think it really takes uh, a long time of, of, of working in different roles, working with different people, working with different styles of people to really sort of understand where you're going to spend that time, right? I think it's really an all of the above type of answer for me and, you know, learning from other leaders that, you know, I saw as successful. That's something that was huge for me. You know, I come from, you know, an athletics background. So, you know, I was always coached throughout my life and the coaches that, you know, I sort of looked to as being successful, as being, um, you know, ones that were creditable. You know, that, those are ones that I extracted the most value from. So I think learning from the leaders that, you know, I was under was a huge influence on me, but also, you know, colleagues and, you know, certainly uh, leveraging the wealth of information that's, that's available to everybody now. Podcasts, LinkedIn seminars, 
posts, you know, content. You know, I think all of those things have really helped me shape what I try to do day day in and day out. Great. Yeah. And I think that's a really good tip for just those listening. Just, you know, when you're in your roles, look around and see who's really talented. Uh, maybe it's someone who's reporting, you're reporting to, or another colleague that you can learn from and just soak in as much information as you can. Because I agree with you. I feel like you need to see a lot of different things to really build that strategic skill set, whether it's from your colleagues or just generally like best practices and reading about content that's out there. Uh, so that was really insightful, Mike. And I do want to sort of delve a little bit deeper into that in terms of when you transitioned from kind of going into the day-to-day execution, from being a team leader, one of the other things that you need, probably needed to learn is obviously management and performance management, which kind of leads me into my next topic. I think it's interesting because you're a sales professional, right? So when you kind of made that transition and then you started started having to evaluate people underneath you for performance, how did you how did you approach that transition and what are the sorts of things that you do when you see that you know performance is falling for your team, for example? Yeah. Um, you know, I would say that, you know, certainly, you know, COVID and this sort of like new era in business has really created a unique challenge for that, right? Because you used to be able to sit with the person, um, you know, day in and day out, you know, have the person next to you or, or somewhere in your purview pretty much every single day where, you know, you can track and sort of see their underperformance or overperformance either way. So I think, you know, this remote work has certainly made that a unique challenge. But one thing that, that I've always thought about was but let's look at the let's look at underperformance as a as a whole, right? Firstly, was the performance and expectations clearly laid out to the person, right? Are they one hundred percent aware of what's expected of them? If they're not, and that's why they're underperforming, that's certainly something you have to remedy. You know, are they underperforming because they don't have the skill set? You know, are they underperforming because they're just not in the right role. You know, these are all things that you need to take into consideration because in the past it's just like, oh, you know, this person's underperforming, you know, this isn't going to work out, right? Because, you know, not working out is is less valuable than getting a person that may be underperforming temporarily to a overperformance. That That's the overall the goal for me. Now, you obviously can't avoid having to let people go or, you know, have put people on plans that are underperforming. But, you know, my first thing is, can we get this person that's underperforming back to a place where they're either performing at an adequate level or overperforming? So that's something that that's changed over over my time. It's not as black and white um, as I once thought about it as a leader. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of people listening are sort of making that transition into being, you know, first time managers or they're up and coming professionals. And they've never had to have that conversation with a direct report. So for those listening that are sort of having that direct conversation for the first time about, you know, diagnosing underperformance and, and seeing what's going on under the hood, what advice would you give them for having those kinds of difficult conversations? Yeah. Um, well, I would first really understand. Um, you know, what I was mentioning a little bit before is, are the expectations and goals clearly, um, clearly aware to the person that you're having this conversation with? If they are and they're not, the, the next conversation absolutely needs to be, 
how can they how can you get this person back to performance and if that conversation doesn't yield an adequate response then definitely something you know needs to be done and and you need to 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 escalate that or you know come up with a strategy for handling something like that but you know i would i would take an approach of of making the person that you're speaking to aware of their underperformance and allow them to speak about it why are they underperforming right what what in what in their mind would allow them to overperform what what are they not receiving that is that is keeping them from performing you know i think that response depending on how they respond is going to tell you a lot because i think some people and and again making a, the athletics analogy is a coach that's saying, you know, you're not doing this right. You're not performing. You're not good at this. I don't feel that that's an, a recipe for, for people to be successful. Maybe it'll work in, in 10% of the people, that type of coaching, but really understanding the, the person because they all have unique challenges as to what's, what's going to make them perform. Um, so I think really understanding that would be the key theme that I would tell really any leader. Yes, for sure. I think not enough time is spent, on, especially on that first step you mentioned, which is diagnosing like what's going on, right? It's it's easy to just jump into, oh, you're not performing well, but it's harder to kind of understand the person on a sort of one-to-one basis. See, it could even be a personal issue. Maybe it's a personal issue that's going right. on and that you have no idea about. So I completely agree. Um, and so the, that leads me into sort of my next question, which is, you know, a lot of people listening are – obviously young professionals that are looking to be startup leaders in the future. Um, and I'd love to kind of get your perspective as a sales leader, right? So what what general advice would you have for young professionals that are looking to be, for example, in the position that you're in now, a head of sales at a startup? What advice would you give? Yeah, you know, I think the, the thing that, you know, always comes back into my mind as a result of, of this is you have to be passionate about what you're doing and you have to know the business in and out. So, you know, I, I feel that leaders are often more successful that are coming up from being an individual contributor in the same company and becoming a leader as opposed to hiring a outside leader. Now, I'm not saying that hiring an outside leader can't lead to success. It of course, can. But I think somebody that grew up through the company, understanding the philosophy, the values, the mission statement, but also understanding what the improvements can be, what can be done better as a leader. What, you, what did you find success in? You know, because obviously you're finding success becoming, you know, having the opportunity to transition from an individual contributor into a leader. How have you found that success? But what creative strategic aspects of the business can you help promote? Like what can you do to kind of again, come up with these strategic value propositions. So kind of a long-winded answer of saying you have to know your business inside and out, but also know where your business falls short and ideas for that sort of change. So I would say constantly um, striving and challenging, you know, don't be afraid to give your ideas. You know, as an individual contributor, sometimes you're kind of sitting there and you're waiting for your leader to sort of um, you know, bring down the initiatives. If you have an idea that you think will help the company, voice it. If you have a tools out there 
suggest it. You know, these are the ways that I see kind of people rocketing up through an organization is, you know, not sort of just being a, uh, you know, task completer, but really being a, a catalyst for change in the company. Yeah, I love that. And especially what you said about knowing the business inside and out. This is a mistake that I see a lot, which is that, you know, people get so sort of pigeonholed in their day-to-day work that they don't actually step up and be like, okay, what what is the company? What's the business model of the company? How do we make money? What are the strategic priorities? And then thinking of new ideas to help push the company forward. So I completely agree with that. Uh, my question to you is, why do you think more young professionals don't take that broader view or phrased another way, what are, what's some advice you would give them to be able to take that broader view? Is it literally just, pay, for example, paying attention more at whole hands meetings? Is it taking classes? Like what, how do you kind of think about helping young professionals get that sort of more, sort of more broad skill set? Well, something that kind of changed over the course of my career in a mindset perspective is this philosophy that there's always something better out there. There's another job. There's another company. There's endless opportunities for me. There's all these vehicles for jobs here, offers here, new positions, new money, things like that. And that's great, but I think it it creates impatience. It creates impatience in the sense of people are just like, well, this isn't working out here. I'm going to go find another job. And you really have to understand as a young professional is, you know, yes, am I going to get a promotion tomorrow? Maybe not. But if I get a promotion, you know, two years from now, where's that value going to be? So I think there's this philosophy that I'll just go find something else and they don't really take the time to spend, you know, again, energy and effort in creating change where they are and they just kind of have opportunities. It's almost like dating, you know, dating apps. There's a million different people out there that I could be, um, you know, spending time with. This person has you know, this color hair and I don't want to speak with them anymore. And there's an endless amount of options out there. It's really this mentality that I think makes it tough for young people to kind of find their way. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. I actually never thought about it like that. And, and I completely agree. Um, so, Mike, I'd love to transition a little bit and talk about your career path and sort of what that's looked like for you. So we're a leadership oriented podcast, right? So what I'd love to understand is like you've had a variety of experiences at startups and bigger companies. What are one or two of the biggest leadership lessons you've learned throughout the course of your career? Oof, that's a good question. Um, I think the 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 best experiences that that I had were experiences where I felt like my leader was a a trusted, you know, advisor in the sense of I knew that they had my back. I know that they trusted in what I was doing and that they were open to really anything that I could bring to them. You know, I, I would I hesitate to say they were a friend, but that's exactly what they are as well as, you know, building a relationship with these leaders over the course of my career um, has certainly been, you know, something that I have, have seen a lot of value in, I think. Um, but also creating an environment that I was mentioning before, an environment that's that's open, that that uh, rewards creative ideas. Now, can you just sit every day and you know looking at a whiteboard and having fun and thinking about ideas? You can't, but you need to create an environment that's open for people to spread their wings, show what's different about them, you know, and not be afraid that if they are different or if they do think differently, 
that that's not you're not going to to respond well. So you almost have to treat each person you know differently. You can't have these blanketed um, you know criteria for an entire organization or for an entire team because different teams are going to bring different things. Yet another sports analogy, like one per- person on your baseball team may be an average hitter, one person may be a home run hitter, one person may have speed, one person may be good in the field. So you really need to kind of understand the skill set of everyone because I feel that everyone does have a unique skill and that those skills can be brought together to create success. That's that's certainly one thing that I've always um, you know sort of thought about. Yeah, so I'd love to double click on both of those. So on the first point that you mentioned, which is the best leaders you reported to have been trusted advisors and even friends. One thing I'm curious to get your perspective on because I've heard sort of different opinions on this. What's your perspective on being friends with the people on your team, with your leaders? Because some leaders take the approach of you know work is work, personal is personal. Let's try to keep them separate. So I'm curious how you think about that as a leader. You know, again. I, I certainly don't want to say that I'm an expert and this is the, the best type of answer for this question, but, but I've always, I've personally always thrived in an environment where I've seen my leaders as, as a friend. Now, in the back of my mind, I know that they are a leader. This is business. They make, you know, the conversation of having to let someone go or, um, you know, downsize or, you know, those tough conversations, those are still possible. But I still always responded well to having a, a good relationship with with the people that I that I work with. Uh, it it's not as easy now to be. Fr- I, I think it's you know. And another point is it's not easy to be friends with leaders really anymore because if that leader doesn't live near you, and even if you're one hundred percent remote, they, you could not see that leader for months and months as an end. So. I, I always responded well to it. Uh, I know some people are, are hesitant about it for a variety of reasons. Uh, I'm personally not. Got it. That, that makes a lot of sense. And I completely agree that, you know, you've brought up the remote working environment and the challenges that's created. And I completely agree. I think it, for the people listening, it's they're coming into a world where it's much harder to bond with your team uh, and they have to kind of change their approach accordingly. So uh, definitely that's a really good insight. And on the second point that you mentioned, which is, You've thrived in environments or you like creating environments that are open where people can be themselves, they can show their strengths. So I wanted to kind of dig into that a little bit. So for leaders that are listening that are new, right, so they're just coming into a management position, what advice would you give them to be able to create that kind of an environment at their companies or in their teams? Well, again, I think it's really important to make sure that you're gathering the group face-to-face. You know, I, I think some people are very hesitant to put themselves out there via Zoom or you know Teams or, or something like that. I think as a leader, in order to evaluate your team, you need to know your team. And you may be doing your team a disservice and that person a disservice by, let's say you let this person go because they're under, underperforming because you purely don't know, you know anything about them because they've been a, a, a square on your Zoom screen for you know, a quarter. So I think it's really important for the companies that have the ability financially, and some startups don't, which I get, um, you have to get really creative and create in, in bringing the team together in person somehow. You have to create fun environments outside of work because once you bring down that wall of this is business only, 
you start to get to know people. Um, and again, some may classify that as a detriment from a management, but I certainly don't because I, I always think that you know you get more from people that you like and trust. No, for sure. And I think that, you, in my opinion, it's very difficult to put the work and the personal completely separate, right? People are human beings. They, they need to feel connected on both sides to their managers, right? If you yeah. want to have a great working relationship, you want your manager to know who you are as a person on the personal side along with your work, right? So I, I completely agree with you there. Um, and I, I do agree that it's also becoming a major challenge in the remote world. And we're seeing more and more companies that are just cutting budgets to the bone, right? So they're not even investing in bringing people together once a quarter, and I don't think that that's the right area to cut personally because of the reasons that you're saying, right? Where it's like that's such a worthy investment and worthy use of money is to make sure that your company and your teams are operating well from a culture perspective. Yeah, uh, so, because if you think about it, and sorry to cut you off, no, if you please. think about it, hiring and, and onboarding onboarding people you know, is going to be a lot more expensive than bringing uh, the group together once a quarter. Right. So if you constantly have churn because you're not creating that collaborative, trusting, high performance environment, constantly onboarding new people is going to be way more costly in the long run, in my opinion. Yeah. And that's a great way to frame it to, you know, CEOs, founders, finance people that are sort of cutting, <laughs> cutting budgets like that. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. And Mike, so just a couple other things that I wanted to ask you about. So one cool thing about your current role is that. You are head of sales and marketing. So I did want to spend a little bit of time on that functional piece as well. What I'm curious is what have you found to be the unique sort of aspects of running both sales and marketing for other leaders that are listening that are maybe in one or the other and they want to take on sort of a broader go-to-market function? What advice would you give them? What insights have you gained by running both? Because I think that's really unique from what I've seen. Yeah, you know, I certainly didn't expect to be doing this, you know, certainly over the last, you know, 12 months of, of an organization, everyone's looking to become more profitable and, and, and get back to a, to a great place of, of operating, you know, on the right side of, of, um, of the dotted line. So, but I would say personally that being over sales and marketing makes me better at both because it makes me better at selling, but it also makes me better at marketing because I'm sitting on the front lines talking to customers, understanding what they're looking for, understanding what they're responding to. So, you know, I, I think it's probably rare, um, you know, for someone to be doing both these days. But I, I really drove a lot of value of it because and, and maybe it brings up a point of, you know, maybe there's a, a strategy of having your people on your team learn in some capacity the other teams, the other sides of the business, what the other teams are, are doing. Because again, in this remote environment, I think it's easy to be in a silo and not necessarily understand or even care what other businesses that you're really not involved with are doing. But knowing those other businesses, knowing what they're doing day to day could very well help what you're doing and what your ultimate responsibilities are as a professional. So that's sort of how I think about it. Yeah, and that's a great point. I mean, you could really apply that to any functional area, right? So you could say that if you run a sales lead, if you're a sales leader, and you, for example, weirdly took on product, I'm sure that would help you in both too, because you know 
a lot of functions are customer facing. They can kind of help each other, right? So I think that's a, that's a great point that you mentioned. And especially on the go-to-market side, I think we're seeing a little bit of a trend to kind of combining and having like a growth team, for example, that is both or, or a, a full sort of stack go-to-market team. So it's really cool to sort of see you at the, at the earlier stages of that. And one um, more thing I, yeah. that I will say about, about that point is also understanding and coming to the you know, bringing on marketing that's not your traditional role or not something that you've been coming up as, as, a, as your career, but also coming in hat in hand and saying to your team, tell me, help, help me understand what you guys are doing. What do you find successful, right? Empowering your team to then empower the leader to invoke changes that are, that are needed. You know, I, I really found value in that is having the team that's doing the day-to-day you know, educate the leader that is me on what success looked like. You know, what did they find success in? That really helped me as well. And just to double click on one aspect of this. So when you made that transition of taking on the marketing function, for example, how did you get up to speed on that, right? Uh, how, how, what advice would you give to leaders that are taking on an adjacent function? The exa- exactly kind of what I was alluding to just before is make sure that you are understanding, you know, again, if you have hundreds of people, it's, it's not as, as easy, but certainly trying to touch, you know, every functional area that, that you're overseeing and really understand what these people, what these people are doing. And again, what do you, what do they find successful? What do they find not successful? What would they change if anything? And then kind of combining all of that information that you're gathering to make effective change and to make effective decisions moving forward, right? You, I think you'll find quickly what, where the um, you know, synergies are between what's working and what's not working. So that's something that I found really valuable when I, when I was getting up to speed. Yeah, and definitely a strong piece of advice to people listening, like really get out of your function, learn what other leaders are up to at your company. It will help you do your job better. And then if you want to take on additional functions, you may be able to do that as well. Um, and then Mike, so last question or the last thing I wanted to give you the chance to just shout out. Could you tell us a little bit about WorkRails, your company, what, you, what you're up to and, and sort of where the company's at? Yeah, thank you. So WorkRails is a configure price quote platform that's traditionally been, been focused on the configure price quote for technology services. So there was, you know, certainly configure price quote is not a new product line. There have been platforms out there for some time, but none that were specifically focused on the services side of the business. So really since our inception, we have been solving the complexity of selling services. Now services are very different than selling products. And because of that complexity and challenge that services quoting comes with, there hasn't been a tool that really factors in all the features and functions. That, that help a services seller you know, be effective. So things like having spreadsheets and document templates for statements of work. So we automate at WorkRails the end-to-end services quoting process uh, at technology companies, whether it's companies that are selling products and services like SaaS companies or pure services companies like system integrators um, and consultants. And the last thing that you know we're really uh, excited about from an innovation perspective is our platform allows you, your company or any technology company to expose the 
quoting process to their customers. Because we create this e-commerce, Amazon-like experience for configuring technology services, we can expose an experience of that to the customer. So the customer can actually um, participate in the scope and uh, consumption of th the services that they need, you know, to make them successful as customers. So that's what that's what WorkRails does. Yeah, and that's it's a great idea. It's something I struggled with too. Like on the on the services side, I've been involved in coding. Is just it's a very um, people do it very old school. So I feel like your solution is uh, it's very custom and very applicable. So that's that was great to, great to hear about that, Mike. Uh, and I also really appreciate all the insights that you gave our listeners about your journey as a leader, uh, and also about your functional area. So I really appreciate you taking the time, Mike, and it was great to have you on the podcast. No, thanks so much for having me.